Well, hello and welcome to the Originals podcast. You're here with Caleb today. I have Matt with me. Yo, how we doing? We're here and for the crowd and the community and everybody here, one of the best humans on the planet. We have Pastor Shane Willard back with us today. Thanks, guys. That's cool. Now, before I go too far, how do you feel? Golden State. Did you watch the game? I've watched both games. So, um, <laughs> so I, I've, I have a couple, I think it's a tension between a couple of things. One, I thought the game with the Lakers is one of the greatest basketball games I've seen in a long time. It was yeah. In terms of entertaining. It was. Very. So, if, if meaning and entertainment and fun is found not in getting what you want, <laughs> but in the process that is, that is there, I thought wow. that that was... Now you're preaching. <laughs> I thought that was gr- I, th- I just thought it was great. I, I you know for that game to come down to LeBron sort of th- heave, heaving one up off balance and oh. it goes in. Well, you just applaud them. That's right. Um, now the the Memphis game, uh, we were flat and we turned the ball over too much. But to be down ten with two and a half minutes left, come back and tie it. Yeah, Draymond. If he Draymond goes up to dunk it to win the game, and it rolls off his hand, <laughs> and then and then uh, you you just gotta John ja Morant, man, you just gotta give it to him. He's from South Carolina. Oh, is uh, he? John ja Morant is. Yeah. yeah, he went to Morehead State, but he's there from South go. Carolina, and um, he's twenty one, and uh, you just gotta you just gotta hand it to him. That's hey, right. I, I like I was disappointed in the outcome for sure, but the entertainment value of those two games was unbelievable. <laughs> I just couldn't believe LeBron, like, had had the last shot. You know, both were playing so well, Steph and LeBron. Like, incredible. But Ja Morant, we all know his skill, but we all really dislike him. (laughs) Yes, yes. He's so cocky. Yeah, and he's just – and I tell you you who – I mean, everybody's going to talk about Ja Morant, um, and they should. Uh, But but the guy that deserves a lot of credit was Brooks – for his defensive effort on on um, on Steph and yeah. um, the, the guy that just sort of added so much value uh, above what they're paying him is Grayson Allen, who oh. Grayson Allen was at Duke when I, I don't know if anybody remember this, but Duke was down I don't know thirteen points in a national championship game. Grayson Allen came in as an eighteen year old freshman and won the game for them, and so he's right. a he's a tough ra- I mean okay. he is a tough rascal that that dude. Is you know he's six five yeah and wider than me but has like a forty eight inch vertical leap <laughs> you know and, and it just uh, and so I, you it's know what I I, I I hated I hated the outcome but I thoroughly was engaged in every bit of entertainment and it couldn't neither game could have been more entertaining yeah, yeah. totally yeah. totally okay so who's your predictions then do you have an idea. Um, what's so in the West? I have no idea. Yeah. Mm. Um, I, it's up in the air. I tell you who I hope. I hope Dallas. Um, oh, wow. Well, the thing is, is that Dallas started the Dallas's record is so, um, it's an illusion because they started out with a COVID crisis that mm. they only had seven players. They went like, you know, five for the five for 13 in their yeah. first 18 games. Yeah. But from that point till now, they've been like the second best team in the league. That's true. Yeah. And so, I agree. Um, so if you got um, like if I had to build a team around one person now, it'd be Luca. Luca. Um, and 
it's it's uh I think I think they they're they're poised to surprise some people and if they win if they win in LA tomorrow I think I think it's game, I, I'll put it this way I don't think anybody in the West is unpredictable I don't think anybody in the West wants to play them mm, right so now in the East um, I'll tell you what I think and then I'll tell you what I hope <laughs> I I think it's gonna be very difficult to stop Brooklyn. <laughs> <laughs> however, however, they play horrible defense, yeah. and and so um, and so anything totally. anything's possible. Uh, but <laughs> what I hope happens is a team that purposely sort of circumvented a lot of the rules um, to you know you, you got all these free agents on expiring contracts, and they just all went to the same place. Yeah, yeah. Um, like Blake Griffin and you know all these guys. <laughs> On the same team, so so what yeah. I hope happens is that I hope Milwaukee beats them. Oh yeah, um, because Milwaukee played the game fair, mm. and I, I hope they beat them. And and if it means I don't want anybody to get injured, but uh, a sore hamstring <laughs> for a couple of nights for James Harden. That's or right. <laughs> to, to just level the playing field, and yeah. see, it, it create entertainment value uh, for sure. Definitely. If anyone listening who doesn't watch any NBA at all but just think about really for some of the best players in they're in all the league, stars all yeah. all stars all on all probably hall of famers hall yeah. of famers yeah. some you know all in their own right incredible basketballers yeah. and they've all gone to the one team yes all of them at once so it's it's actually ridiculous it's ridiculous when, it once once Harden signed everyone was thinking this is the most insane thing ever. Yes. And then Blake Griffin turns up. Blake Griffin. LaMarcus yeah. Aldridge. LaMarcus he Aldridge. Yeah. yeah. He retired. Did he? Uh, yeah. So what happened is, is he did the same thing. And you're, th- you're th- think about this. You got, you got Harden, Durant, Kyrie Irving, <laughs> uh, LaMarcus Aldridge, and Blake Griffin. <laughs> well. Sounds like a joke, doesn't so, it? <laughs> it does. So LaMarcus Aldridge had to retire because um, he had an undiagnosed heart condition. Right. That, that presented itself in a game, and he was risking his life to continue to play, and they, that ain't worth it. That's like wow. you know, Hank Gather stuff. Yeah, wow. Well, there we go. There's predictions right there. There you go. Put your money on it. Or maybe not. Whatever <laughs> <laughs> you want to do. Maybe not good advice. <laughs> could, be, could be entertainment. That's yeah. right. Yeah, it could be <laughs> add a bit of spice to your life. Okay, well, Originals, we're going to recommend something right now, our OG recommendations. I'm going to go first. The first thing I want to re- recommend to you, I recently, this sounds like the most boring adult thing to do, but I just changed all my insurers. I went through and rung up for cars, everything. It's very adult of you. Very adult. And man, was I getting ripped off. And I thought I was doing really well with what I had. And then I I just put, played hardball and I just saved myself a whole lot of money. So anybody listening, I know this is a very practical thing. If you've been just letting your insurance roll over every subscri- every time and not looking at it, just give yourself a day, spend some time, look at what you, you, you're paying, what you're getting, and see if you can get a better deal. You're going to save your – like I sa- saved thousands of dollars. Wow. So there we go. Super practical, super simple. Do you got one, Matt? Uh, I do. It's not anywhere near as practical. As <laughs> it doesn't have to be. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was just going through. I feel like I always have like weird curveball ones, so I thought I'd try and do a normal one, but I don't know if it's normal. Um, I'm going to recommend a book or a book series. 
probably my favorite um, books that I regularly read. And if you've, if anyone knows or has like interned at church under me, oh, <laughs> oh yes, I've made them read this book. Um, not very, not a Christian book or anything self help, self help, self help, self help. There we go. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but Douglas Adams, Hitchhiker's Guide oh, to the Galaxy. Yes. It's probably my all-time favourite book, yeah, outside great. of things like the Bible, obviously. I um, have to say that because Pastor Shane's sitting across from us. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> There's value in everything. Um, there's value in everything. Um, look, I, I, lately I'm really loving going back to fiction stuff. Yeah, great. You know what I mean? Like, cool. I feel like um, I, my podcast lately, like everything's all been like conversations and, and like self-help stuff or like people's stories. And then all of a sudden going back to fiction, I think it's just – it flicks something in my mind. I'm th- it's making me actually think a little bit differently. Like yeah, okay. it's engaging something a little bit, I don't know. Creative. Um, yeah, creative could be the word. Uh, um, yeah, so there you go. If you're bored of your current podcast, podcast, find something fiction, like a yeah. cool story or something to... Love it. I mean, I think all the, maybe all the best thinkers in our history will write fiction and, you know. Totally. Yeah, heroes like C.S. Lewis, you know, great Tolkien. thinker. Yep. Yeah, incredible. Um, so yeah, there you go. Read something fiction great i love it and if you're looking for something really wacky and stupid and <laughs> will make you laugh for sure hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy well yeah it's, it's a wild read that's it's for sure. a wild ride it's so different to yep. just everybody everyday thinking right totally it transports you too i know that's a big thing but you know wherever you're at in your mundane everyday life read and open that book hey it does it transports yeah you. for sure i love that Okay, Pastor Shane, do you have anything you want to recommend so, to young adults? Yeah, so there is a, a true story um, movie that's uh, it's been out for a while, but it's just been released on like Netflix or whatever, um, or, or Stan or one of them. Anyway, it's uh, called Pride. Wow. And it's with Terrence Howard. It's the true story of an African-American um, who started a swimming program in the inner city of Philadelphia um, and uh, and how when he started it, there were, you know, almost all elite swim teams are white, Caucasian, and that the whites wouldn't even swim in the same pool because they were yeah, African-American. Right. Uh-huh. And it's a story of grit and justice and cool. belief and uh, very, very inspiring. He ended up he's right. still doing it now. He's in his 70s, and he's created some Olympians and just a, a, a very, very moving, inspiring true story. Yeah, cool. Awesome. I love it. I'm just writing this down because that sounds awesome. It's starring Terrence Howard. Okay. Pride. I love it. Awesome. We've got some recommendations there. So pretty much from the last time we recorded a podcast with Pastor Shane, we had so much great feedback. Everybody in the community loved what you were saying, Mm. your insights, your perspective. Um, and we're stoked to have you back today. And on our through our Instagram at Highway Originals, um, we just put up a question box and we just asked, if you could ask Pastor Shane a question, what would you ask? All right. And that's the way it went. <laughs> and we had a whole range of questions coming in, some around God, some around personal, some around everything. Um, so we're just going to read off a couple. We'll just chat about them, see how we go. Yeah. Go Let's with it. Let's do it. Yeah. You're free? Good? Yeah. Sounds All right. good to me. Okay, well, first one, um, I'm going to dive into one from someone in our community called John, and he said this. I'll, I'll make sure I read it properly. Most of Christian theology relies very heavily on Paul's epistles. Right? They're considered authoritative, authoritative, sorry, even though Paul never knew Jesus during his ministry. 
<laughs> Why consider Paul's writings God's word and not contemporary, contemporary believers who also claim an experience with Jesus and teach things in line with the gospel? So really what the point is, what takes the epistles from writings that are helpful to this is God speaking? Which is uh, what he said. Yeah, well, so I, I think, again, we, we have to remember that words matter less than how we picture words working. So, so when I read Paul's epistles, I don't immediately think like God was writing it or dictating it. Yeah. Sure. Like, you know, uh, because there are certain places in Paul's epistles where Paul admits it's his opinion. So, for instance, Paul's opinion on marriage mm. was very negative. That's right. So negative, in fact, that he's like, I just want to be clear, this is my opinion, not necessarily God's. Yeah. Right? But I, it definitely is my preference. Yeah. Um, and then, then, of course, there's one line in Galatians 5 where he says, to those who want to circumcise, just go ahead and cut the whole thing off. <laughs> right? Which, once again, if God's writing that or dictating it like... Yeah. You know, and, and Paul's like, really? You want, you, to, Paul? you want me to tell him to castrate <laughs> Um Or emasculate. I think he says it. you got to forgive me because I'm going from memory. I don't have a Bible in front of me. But, um, for sure, for sure. Um, you know, for, to those who are demanding you circumcise, I just wish they would go ahead and emasculate themselves. In other words, cut the whole thing off. Mm. And there's, a, there's, actually a, a ver- uh, there's actually a Greek play on words there, which is interesting. So the Greek word for um, circumcision is peritomen, which is perimeter to cut around. I don't think... We need to go any further. Like this is True. basic totally. anatomy. It's pretty self-explanatory. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the word he says to those who want to force you to peritomen, I just wish they would catatomen. So, so peritomen is to cut around. Catatomen is to cut to pieces, right? <laughs> and so it gets translated. It gets translated emasculate, which is quite. It's quite a soft way of saying it. So, yeah. um, and then there's this. There's this one line in Paul's epistles where he says, uh, I can't remember the guy's name, but tell Tychicus or whoever. Um, to uh, that when I come back through, I left my coat there, and I'm going to need to fetch my coat, right? <laughs> and so I, I think it's a mistake to frame Paul's writings as written by God or yes. dictated by God. I actually think that's a mistake for the whole Bible. Yes, but, I agree. Yeah. But nonetheless, so uh, it depends on what uh, John uh, means by God's word. Mm. Um, uh, because... Um, when when Paul talked about God's word, he was talking about Jesus. Yeah. When he talked about Scripture, he was talking about Scripture, and so yeah. um, and so Paul's writings um, are authentic and authoritative, and I think they should be because um, his encounter with Christ was so radical it literally changed Europe. Totally. Like this guy, and he was willing to die and be tortured for the way he was standing on things. Like yeah. so 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 to, to act like. Tech, like we should put um, our cousin Jim, who had an encounter with Jesus, his words on like the same weight as Paul's. I think that's a mistake. Yeah. Right. So, um, but the 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 short answer is 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 the reason his writings were included in the New Testament was because the early church found his writings to be authentic, authoritative, um, applicable, um, and was a authentic. Um, picture mm. of how Jesus saw the world mm. because for them Jesus wasn't somebody to believe in to get it right or to go to heaven Jesus was a fundamental way of seeing the world that if we applied his way of seeing the world would bring life to the world 
and that Paul had a radical way of applying Jesus's way of seeing the world to Corinth and Philippi and places where there was massive injustice. So it's yeah. massively applicable. Okay. Yeah, I love that. There you go. Awesome. Cool. Um, I'm going to keep going here. We've got a list of questions. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, I've got one here from a very special um, listener named Ben. Mm. Um, ben, you know who you are. Um, we've got here, it's just short and sweet, but from your understanding, what is salvation? What are we save, being saved from? And what are we be saved to? Okay, from Pastor Shane's understanding. Well, so it depends on, once again, I mean, words matter less than any picture words. For sure. So, so if, you, if somebody says, I got saved, and what they mean by that is, is I said a magic prayer so I could go somewhere else when I die. Well, okay, that's okay. That's one way to look at it. Yes. But, but so salvation, even in the scriptures, was multifaceted. So, so, so you can find the use of the word salvation with God witnessing the oppression of a certain group of people and him, him determining to save them from that oppression. Yes. Yeah. So in that sense, salvation has nothing to do with heaven, hell, forgiveness. It has to do with God saving us from something. Yeah. Um, there, there's lots of scriptures where somebody was saved from their affliction, so they were sick and some move of God saved. So, so saved can be... So what is so the, the, the problem with questions like that is, is, and I'm not saying Ben is doing this at all, but sometimes people who ask those questions, they want to know the one meaning. Yeah, that's right. For sure. Like, give me the one. Yeah. It's like the one. Um, so <laughs> in one sense, uh, salvation is any time God engages our oppressive story and sets us free. In another sense, salvation is any time God engages our sickness and heals us. Mm. In another sense, salvation is any time we're able to name the thing that God has been up to since before the foundation of the world and consent and participate to it. Mm. In, in another sense, salvation has been provided for everybody since before the foundation of the world. So if somebody says, um, is everybody saved? Well, it depends on what you mean by saved. That's right. Like, for sure. It was everybody included in the plan before the foundation of the world. Yeah. Is, so if that's what you mean by saved, mm. yeah, everybody's saved. If you mean by saved, um, who can, you know, uh, is everybody participating in that story? Well, no. Yes. Is consent and participatory ne consent and participation necessary? Well, I think it's not just necessary. I think it's essential. It's essential. It's sure. a, there's, a, there's a scripture. You'd have to give me some grace on the reference, but okay. um, I know it's in there. It says um, that through Jesus Christ, God provided salvation for every person, but especially those that believe. So then you also have to wrestle with the tension of, in what sense is everyone saved? And in what sense are the believers saved in some sort of more weighty yeah. way? So, so Paul says, Paul says uh, salvation was provided through Jesus Christ by God to every person, but especially those that believe. And you're going, what do you mean by that? Yeah. So, so I think to answer his question, it, one, it depends on what you mean by salvation. Okay. Two... I think being saved is any time we're able to name, consent, and participate with what God has called us to be true before the foundation of the world. Yeah, okay. Great. And any time we engage in that story, that's salvation. That's salvation happening yeah. right Happening, there there. yes. Yes, yeah. right. It's con continual. Yes, yeah. yes. Yes. That yeah, in right. one sense, salvation is someday— and that's another way people talk about salvation, like someday no more pain, someday no more yeah. crying. Yeah. But in another sense, salvation's here now. 
today. Mm. And so uh, it just depends on what he means. That's yeah, right. For the sure. Difference of eternity. Yes. And what that. Yes. You know, which yeah. really seems to be a common theme, doesn't it? When you start looking at a lot of questioning and stuff, it's you're all, you also have to challenge the semantics before you even look at the answer to the question. You know, like the yeah, way you're phrasing questions and the way you're even yes. asking questions seems to be. Yeah. It's fallacious because why, why do you you guys are pastors? Why do you do what you do? Well, mm. if if you do what you do to get people to heaven, well, amen. Um, <laughs> but my question then is, then what? So That's my right. my question isn't will you go to heaven when you die? It's when you go to heaven when you die, will you like it? Mm. Right. <laughs> so Jesus never once framed it except me to go somewhere else. It's have heaven so established in you now that when the reality of heaven is the only reality, you don't get whiplash. In other words, like Jesus that. never framed heaven as somewhere else that we can go. Rather, it, he framed heaven as a reality that can be established in us now so that when that reality is the only reality, we don't get, whip, we don't get whiplash. So, I told, so if somebody's been saved 30 years and they say, What's more for me in this journey? My question is, is go, go back and reread everything Jesus ever said about heaven and ask yourself, would you like it? Mm. And, um, and so because the reason I do what I do is to encourage, build, create uh, a habit of response, a lifestyle of response that every time God consents, that we consent back. Yeah, And if you, I love the way Paul says it. He says, just as you receive Christ, so continue to walk in him. In other words, you receive Christ by responding. The key to entering life is to keep responding. Continue. Right. Yep. Continually Daily respond. Yep. Moment. Wow. And when you continually respond, that is salvation. Yeah, that's right. Which, you know, we, as sitting here today, you know, in a studio recording, and we're not in a service, in a thing that we would say a usual church service mm. that we see there's formulas there's ways that the church has followed for mm. millennial and we, we know that there's that changes over time and things as well as that i think um sometimes um especially i find it's people who have grown up in those environments their yes. whole life yeah who you know has the um the bar set at a certain moment, at a certain time during a service, that that is the moment that I can remember yeah. that I was saved, mm -hmm. you know, and we were all, we, we grew up in that. Yeah, me too. And yep. it's something that, um, do you think it's like that the church needs to start um, moving away from? Personally, do you feel that's something that those moments? So I have my moment like that too. Mm. I don't. I don't think the church should move away from it. I just think the church should move away from only talking about that one aspect of That's it. That's right. Yeah. Right? So more into so, dis discipleship. Or and, and we should be able to talk about the salvation that comes in mutual consent. Yes. And mutual participation. The salvation that comes from participating in someone else's oppression being set free. Mm. That we should be able to be able to talk about those forms of the word salvation without feeling like we're cheapening yeah. this. Yeah. It's not either or. It's yeah. it's um it's a multifaceted mm. multi-flavored diamond. Because mm. there was another question that went after that. It was if thirty percent of the world is Christian, do the seventy percent go to hell? <laughs> right, and once again, <laughs> I, I, I feel like I'm, I'm on repeat. You just go yeah, on repeat. Sure. Like, first of all, who goes where when they die is for none of us to say. Yes. Yeah. Not it's above all of our pay grade. That's yeah, right, for sure. Correct. Yeah. And so I think 
I think the question underneath that question is, what is God like? Mm. And, and what is hell? So somebody says, do you believe in hell? The answer is yeah. Um, be, because if God is love and love's ultimate ethic is consent, then have, if you call heaven the place of mutual consent, right. then there has to be mm. a condition or a state where there is non-consent to consent, yeah. right? Yeah. Which is, but the problem with a question like that is, is for a lot of people listening, when, when they say hell, they picture Dante's Inferno that's Renaissance right. art hell. Yes. Well, I don't think anybody actually thinks that's hell anymore. No. I don't, I, I, I don't know of anybody in my world yes. that if I said, draw a picture of hell, they would draw a Renaissance art thing mm. where some demon is torturing a human. Pit of fire. Uh, where, where it's, yeah, where it's um, eternal. Like, like I, don't, I don't know of anybody in my world that thinks God invented this technology mm. that, um, that keeps you conscious while he tortures you for 50 billion years. Yeah. Right? Um, but then again... If you say, well, so God just makes everybody come in? Well, no, because if you remove consent, that's bad. That's right. Yeah. Right? How can that be heaven if there's no consent? So it, I would say it this way. If there's a heaven, then there has to be a hell. The question isn't, is there a hell? The question is, what's the nature of it? Mm. Is hell eternal, conscious, active torture by a loving God? Or is hell the self-inflicted consequences of non-consent to consent? Yeah. And this is where we sort of, I, you know, we, we've said things, I know, and I wasn't, I'm not mad at anybody because I know what they were trying to say, that like, they'll say hell's the absence of God, like hell's where, you, hell's where God isn't. But really, where can you go that God isn't? Yeah. Right. right? And in, in Jewish thought, uh, like the Psalms say, even if you choose to make your bed in hell, he'll come get you there. So the early church, they defined hell as not as the absence of God, but the overbearing presence of God that you're resisting. So if heaven is mutual consent, if hell, if God floods hell with his love and you're resisting what that is, well, then the torment comes from the self-inflicted consequences of non-consent to consent. So when you're resisting infinite love. Yeah, totally. I love the best explanation that I've ever heard. (laughs) (laughs) And that that explanation is like 1,700 years old. Yeah, right. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, and I think, um, like, only I can speak from my perspective here. And someone who is, um, you know, I'm in this environment a lot and I'm 100% sit here humbly and continually growing and changing as we spoke about the last podcast. Mm. Um, And these ideas and thoughts that, to be honest, I am continually unlearning Mm. and the natural thought or response, and I heard it from one of your messages where you're saying in children's ministry and there was auntie someone teaching you this story mm. that they they were speaking out of their truth that they thought was one hundred percent correct, right? But at a those formative years created my lens, my perspective, um, and through I've seen created the dominant imagination. That's right, and that's powerful. It's mm. huge. Yeah, yes. it's huge. So if I could if I could address that one thing because there's one other issue I have with that question about the hell question mm. is, and I know you know this, mm. and you know I know this, but the person asking this might not know this. Yeah. That in the Bible, there's only one English word, hell, but there's three different hells. Mm. And by far, the most used word for hell 
in the Bible is used by Jesus mm. um, 15 times. If you remove the repeats, six. Um, and it was Gehenna, which that question intimates, where do these people go when they die? Mm. But by far, Jesus used the word hell 18 times. 15 of the 18 was Gehenna. Three of the 18 was Hades. So this the person asked the question is asking about Hades as if that's the only way to think about hell. Hades was the after death hell, but Gehenna, 87.7% of the time Jesus used the word hell, he's talking about a rubbish dump and that's right in, in Jerusalem. And he's talking to believers. Mm. So for us, we tend to, um, we tend to uh, isolate the hell discussion as them then. Yeah. Where do they go when they die? Mm-hmm. Um, but for G- and that should be discussed. Mm. But for Jesus, 87.7% of the time he used the word hell, it was about us now. And it was about does your anger, your lust, yes. your tendency to call people idiots, uh, uh, your pride, your greed, and your oblivion to how your actions affect others, do these things bring a rubbish dump to your world or do they bring the presence of God to your world? And essentially he's talking to believers and he says – if you have an anger problem, and you it's and and the word he uses there is like a uh, continue. It's not like a one off. It's like you're an angry person. Yeah. If you have an anger problem or a lust problem, or you have a habit of calling people idiots, or you you have a pride problem, or you're oblivious to how your actions affect others, or you have a greed problem, these things bring Gehenna to your world. It, it it brings the rubbish dump. So and that's so true. Like if anger rules your life, it endangers your life of the rubbish dump. 100%. If lust rules your life. And so what happens with these questions is when we only see hell as them then, then I read the passage from Matthew that he's talking to believers that's in him. Right. And it says, if if you if lust controls your life, you're endangering your life of hell. Mm. And then the person who only sees hell as them then goes, Yeah, but I'm saved. Yeah. From what? Yeah. H- have you been rescued from your anger problem? Yeah, right. So that's the that so seeing salvation is only one dimensional mm-hmm. and seeing hell is only one dimensional when actually in the New Testament there was three hells. There was Gehenna, which was the rubbish dump. There was Hades, which was like the hell for humans. Mm-hmm. And then there was Tartaro, which was the hell for demons. Which is which is why which is why when somebody says I had a vision of hell and there was like demons and humans in the same place, that that was not a thing. Yeah, yeah. That, th- there was a prison for demons, a hell for humans, and a Hades mm-hmm. and and um, and Gehenna, which Gehenna. was a, an example Jesus used for what these things that bring death, when they control our lives, it just makes our, it just ruins our life. It puts our life on the rubbish dump. That's yeah. right. Yeah. And I think in the same breath, we say, think the same way with hell and heaven. And that confuses the idea that hell is, and is this further back, but heaven is as well, you know? Yes. And that's all we do now pretty much constantly is talking about God's kingdom now. Mm. You know, and it's in that same mind that it's not some further, far away. Correct. So let's know? say let's say it simply. Um, heaven is true here. Yes. And it's occupied. Heaven is true there. Mm. And it's occupied. Yes. Hell is true here. And it's occupied. Mm. And unfortunately, hell is true there. And it's occupied. I love that. And, and the way, the way heaven works in eternity is the same way heaven works here, which is consent and participation. Mm-hmm. That was really good. That was great. That was awesome. Yeah. <laughs> that, that is, yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. Mind, so good. Mind blown. Mind blown. Yeah, yeah cool. really, really, really good. You got a minute? Uh, yeah. I've got one, uh, another one that was just myself asking. Yeah. So this is from Matt. Um, 
and you can't <laughs> hide behind your question. Yeah, just everyone knows. Uh, I won't get you to try and explain the Trinity, but I had this question when I pray. Am I praying to a certain member of the Trinity? Right. Or, well, I don't even know where I'm going with this that <laughs> yeah. question. Well, I, can, I know where you're going. So, yes. so um, I think you're addressing something that needs to be addressed, and that is the gap between the way we believe something works and the way we picture it working. Yeah. So Orthodox Christian theology from the beginning is that God is not a singularity. Rather, God is a relationship of three that are acting in such symbiosis that they appear as one. Um, and this is the revelation of God revealed in Scripture from the beginning. Mm. Um, as a matter of fact, in the Genesis poem, um, um, all the words for God, including verbs, nouns, and pronouns, are all plural. So even the first verse, um, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In Hebrew, it says God's. So God's. so it's it's Elohim. Mm. It, the I am on the end of a Hebrew word is plural. plural, plural. So really the way to translate it is, in the beginning, the divine relationship created the heavens and the earth. Yeah. Okay. And then, and then, um, let us make man in our. So all the pronouns, all the nouns, all the verbs are all plural, right? So the problem with that is that so if I ask somebody, when you pray, who do you picture? Number one answer: I picture a guy on a throne. Mm. What color is he? White. So you picture a white guy on a throne. Yes, that's Zeus. That's Apollo, that's Hermes, that's mm. Mithra, that's Attis, that's Adonis. So there's a way to have an orthodox doctrine, but a pagan imagination about how that doctrine works. Yeah, sure. So, um, and then somebody might say, well, I'd pray to Jesus. Which Jesus? Like my Mexican friend Jesus? That's right. Or like like white Jesus? Or like Middle Eastern sort of hippie Jesus? Like which, which right. Jesus do you picture? And they'll go, they'll go, shut up, just Jesus, right? <laughs> what do you mean, just Jesus? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, or they'll say, I'll picture a father. Well, whose father? Yeah, a third-century Spanish monk's father, a, a, a 16th-century Swiss peasant's father. No, mm. you know, just a father, right? Well, whose father? Like, mm. so, um, like, what if your dad's a jerk? Like, I mean, it's, totally. it's so. There's all this. So, um, so the the tr I love. I I don't mind the word Trinity because it was a second-century word to try to put language around a complex topic. For sure see God as three acting as one. But I like the word before that, which was perichoresis. So perichoresis, perimeter, circle, mm. choresis, choreograph, dance. So the ancients, when they talked about the nature of God, they called it a divine dance. That God is what happens when three know when to step up, when to step back, when to honor, when to submit, when to take their turn, when to give the other person. And that's the God revealed in Christ. Is Remember they say to Jesus, um, Jesus, you're good. He goes, no, no, uh, nobody's good except the Father. But then the Father exalts Jesus. And then Jesus points to the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit points. So you see this divine, yeah. this, this, this divine, divine dance. dance. And, um, and so I think the reason that's important is because when you, I, I love, there's this um, Russian guy named Rublev, and he painted this famous painting um, where you have the Father, Son, Holy Spirit at a table. And the Holy Spirit character is pointing towards an empty seat. Right. And if you look closely, the empty seat is a mirror. And so the way the ancient 
rabbis talked about this is that in the in the early church they talked about that at creation the divine dance wanted a fourth dance partner <laughs> and so the divine dance engaged the chaos to create a fourth dance partner and that fourth dance partner is you so when you look at rublev's painting you should see the mirror and see yourself being invited to the divine dance. Wow. So, so, so Western Christianity tends to obsess over will you be forgiven. Yeah. Ancient Christianity obsesses over will you dance. Will you join? Mm. Wow, I love that image. <laughs> so everybody's going to have to listen to this three or four times. Um, catch it all. Catch it all. Wow, I love this. Okay, let's hit you with another. Um, how do you explain God having enemies? Well, very simple way yeah. of writing that. But. <laughs> right. So anything that is anti-life, anti-compassion, anti-justice, um, anything that is pro-oppression, pro-marginalization, anything that is anti-human is an enemy of God because God is that which brings life and calls his image out of all of humanity. So yeah. anything that denies the image of God in humans is anti-God. Anti. Yeah, it comes against. Great, great answer. Yeah. Um, so, And by the way, that's not God being against the person. Yeah. That's yeah. them being against what For God sure. is about in that's the world. That's right. So, consent. So, so yes, yeah, so it's about non-consent and consent. Exactly. So if, if it's... If it's someone who goes, well, God is clearly for the plight of the marginalized being better. Mm. If I am actively for holding the marginalized down, mm. I have placed myself in the way of what God is up to. In that sense, I am God's enemy. Mm. Yep. Yeah, I love that. So, Pastor Shane, I know you, uh, to be honest, one of the busiest people I know. <laughs> the the amount of like well, you guys even, saw it today. Yeah, yeah, like, today, oh, yeah. like guys, just before this, Pastor Shane has preached three full messages in a row. I mean, like two minute to have a drink of water and preach the next one. Yes. Plus, you preached yesterday and you're doing a Q and A tonight. Plus, you're doing a podcast right now, and then you're flying. Okay, like, yeah. we know you're busy. Yeah. Okay. Now, first question off the bat: Is balance real in life? What I mean by that is, you're yeah. doing a lot of things. Yeah, how do you manage the balance? So I I try not to think of it as balance. I try to think of it as rhythm. The myth of yeah, cool. Right. So I I see it as a musical metaphor, um, that your life and this is a metaphor, but you, your life is made up of the right key, the right notes, the right rests, and the right rhythm. So that's what makes up music. Mm. keys, notes, rests, rhythm. I think they're literally called that too, notes and rests. Yeah. Right. And uh, oftentimes when things get off kilter or out of balance, which mm. is a fine way to say it, Yes. we tend to default to, what am I doing wrong? That that question. So we, we tend to default to, it's, so to use the musical metaphor, am I playing my life in the wrong key? Mm. Are the wrong notes being played? Mm. And fair enough question. Yeah. Um, but oftentimes what we find is is that Life is not played in the wrong key. It's played in the wrong rhythm. Because it doesn't matter if everybody's in the right key and everybody's in the right notes. If mm. the rhythm section's off, it butchers the song. Yeah, so, so a song that... So here's balance from a musical, musical metaphor. Balance is having the right rhythm. What is that? That is knowing when to be on and when to be off. 
So a musician that doesn't know when to play and when not to play is out of balance or out of rhythm. Yep. So um, a song that has too many notes is too busy. Mm. It's um, white noise. It's confusing. Yeah. Um, but uh, the other side is, is a song with too many rests is boring and depressive. Um, um, and so I think balance is looking at our life and asking the question, do I know when to be on and when to be off? And you see that in how Jesus saw the world. Like Jesus cast demons out of people one night, and the next morning he knew the crowd would be bigger, so he got off by himself. And so when the sun came up and they saw the crowd, Peter goes and gets him. He says, what are you doing? Everybody's looking for you. And Jesus is like, well, then let us go somewhere else. So the God revealed in creation, I tend to frame it like this a lot. The God revealed in creation and the God revealed in Christ are the same person, and they also teach us the same lessons. Mm. The God revealed in creation does not avoid chaos. He knows when to be on, but he also knows when to be off. And rest. The God revealed in Christ knew when to be on and when to be off. Mm-hmm. And um, and I think for me, knowing when to engage and when to disengage is balance. To use your word, to use my word, it's rhythm. Wow. Yeah, love that. And so you personally, I know you play golf. Yeah. You do a couple of things like that. You know, balancing your day-to-day. Yeah. You intentionally put in moments of rest. No, I have one day in seven that's, that is different than all the other days. Okay. So I make sure, I look at my week and I, and I pick a day and I'm like, so that day I'm not going to study. That day I'm not going to write. Yes. That day I'm not going to email 50 people. Yeah. That, that day I'm not going to call business people back. Okay. Um, so I create one day in seven yep. that's different than the other days. Mm. Now the other side is true. If you have three days of disengagement in a week, you will be depressed. Yes. So too little engagement makes your song boring. Mm. Too yep. much engagement makes it confusing yeah, and great. white noise. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. No, it's great. Practical. I love it. Yeah. Great. One last one, Matt. Last one. Do you want to throw one at, at us? Um, sure. Uh, from here? Let's have a look. What's in here? From there? I've got a couple there, but... <sighs> Far out. I feel like I'm going to have to I listen like to this about six times. Stuff. Um, I do want to sort of revisit um, just my last question just in regards to prayer. Yeah. Um, especially, especially someone who is very involved in a very Pentecostal church like ourselves, where we have yeah. prayer meetings and we engage mm. in a lot of um, praying in tongues and um, whatever. I just was curious about what your actual prayer life looks like. Like, is it more meditative? Is it more? Mm. Um, so let's define let's define uh, prayer. So once again, I think prayer fits into the same categories as heaven, hell, mm. all, that. and that is what you picture it being and whatever the dominant image is, is more important than the word itself. For sure. So um, is prayer a prayer meeting? Could, can be. Yeah. Um, Is prayer saying words? Can be. Yeah. Is prayer being silent? Can be. For sure. But if the problem is, is when we only define it by one narrow thing. So, so if, so if prayer is, I'm going to go pray right now. Right. Well, then what do you do when Paul says, live a life where you pray without ceasing? That's right. Yeah. Like if you walk through Woolworths going, shut up. Right. Yeah. Like, so um, you'd be a, a, like a lunatic. That's sure, right. right. And somebody says, what are you doing? I'm praying without ceasing. Right. Um, so in one sense, I, so let's go from the general to the particular. Right. So in general, prayer is any time that your awareness of God is heightened over your awareness of self. Is does sometimes that manifest itself with words? Yeah. Um, does sometimes that manifest itself in silence and solitude? Oh yeah. Mm. Is one more holy than the other? No. Um, 
as a Pentecostal, so if I pick on people, I'll pick on myself. <laughs> it's very convicting. Jesus said, when you pray, don't go on babbling. That's right. For sure. And what he defined that as is don't think the more you pray, the more God hears you. Yeah. Mm. Or the more words, not the more you pray. The more words you say, the more God hears okay, you. Yeah, yeah. Sure. Right? And so Jesus says, don't make your prayers about words and don't make your prayers about needs. Well, the reason that's very convicting, like to quote him, uh, and when you pray, don't go on babbling like the pagans do, for they think they'll be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for don't you know your Father in heaven knows what you need before you ask? Yeah, that's right. So Jesus says, well, when you pray, don't make it about words or needs. Yeah. Why? Because that makes you self-aware. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and the reason that's very convicting is if you take all the words out of your prayers and you take all the needs out of your prayers, what's left? Yeah. Right? That's right. So, G- so Jesus had space for something he called prayer, which is unfamiliar in a lot of Western traditions. Yeah. Right. Which is silence, yes. solitude, awareness. Yeah. You could say consciousness. Yeah. Um, and so, so Jesus said, but when you pray, say this. My f- so he did affirm the need for some words. It helps us to articulate language around the spiritual reality mm. that we're dealing with. Definitely. Yep. Right? Yeah. So, so Jesus says, when you pray, say this, my father or supplier, um, who is in the air, in, in English says, who is in heaven. But in Greek, it says, my father who's in the air that I breathe. Mm. Hallowed be your name. Or my father who is as close to me as the air that I'm breathing, I stop and become aware of you. Yes. So in other words, for Jesus, prayer is about starting where we're trying to finish. So if you say to somebody, why are you praying like that? Well, I'm trying to get the presence of God. Well, what if we just started there? Mm. Yeah. And then see where that takes us. So in a broad sense, prayer is anytime we're aware of God. And and it's really important to pray without ceasing because it changes the way you treat people. Yes. Right? You can't treat the waitress poorly if you're aware that God is with you, right? But, But sometimes prayer needs an articulation of the spiritual reality that you're building. Mm. right? Um, And then, of course, tongues or spiritual language is a whole nother thing where Mm. by which uh, what the Christian tradition believes is that reasonably there are times where you have no idea what's in your best interest. So the grace of God is to, as a part of that perichoresis, for God to pray to God Mm. on your behalf. Yes. And it builds your spirit up is what it talks about. So is there a place for all of it? Yeah. The problem is, is that when somebody tends to be belligerent about their personal favorite version of it being the only way, Mm. Um, whereas actually in the, in the Christian tradition, there is room for all of that in prayer. Yeah, Yeah, that's right. So inclusive. Yeah, that's right. And it's, it's got grace in it, you know, a lot of grace. And so I was going to say a lot of dancing actually is to use our, that's right. Yeah. 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 Mm. I like that. Would you then say, um, just just as popped my head as we're going, does that mean then that even the word prayer and the word worship are interchangeable? The same thing. Yeah, they're, they're, they're totally. Like yeah. prayer is worship. Um, Bible uh, actually to the to the ancient Jews, studying of Torah was the highest form of worship. Yeah. So again, worship is another one of those things when you when you limit worship to singing mm. instead of surrender. Yeah. And surrender is a part of prayer. Mm. So that 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 becomes the whole thing. But so but worship and prayer. This is what's so important. Worship and prayer are never meant to inaugurate new realities. Worship and prayer are meant to connect us with what God's been up to since before the foundation of the world. And so worship is not like, come on now, bring the presence, you know? It's like, wait a minute, no. The presence has been here all along. A good worship leader does not bring the presence. A good worship leader makes the white noise of our life go away long enough for us to be aware of what's always been there. Awesome. And same with prayer. It's about us. Like you said, 
joining in the dance. Joining in the dance. Joining in the dance. Join the dance. That is the. That is oh. what the title of this podcast is going to be called. Joining the, the last dance. The last. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. that, that one. That one's taken. The only, <laughs> the only dance, maybe yeah. something like that. Well, Pastor Shane, we love you. Love you too, guys. I think. Um, I think you're both champions, by the way, and I mean that sincerely. I think. Um, I think that uh, your what you bring to the table um, is incredibly important. I'm proud of both of you. Oh, thank, thank you, you so much. Yeah, and um, you know, I just want everybody to know. Um, whatever you're doing, stop. Please go to Shane Willard. Is it dot org? Shane Willard Ministries. Shane Willard Ministries dot org, and you can find in there. There is a back catalogue of years and years and years and years and years. Uh, a lot of my theology, a lot of my thoughts, has come from Shane's teaching over a lot of my lifetime. Yeah. Um, please go there and support him. Um, go there, have a look. He's got topics on. I mean, really, pretty much everything, mm. right? Yeah. Um, and you can jump on there, support him, help him in his ministry so he can continue going on forward, changing the world, impacting people. Um, and we just want to yeah, give you every platform we can. Yeah, and we're thanks, just stoked man. that you came and spoke to us. I'm so. glad. Yeah. Yeah, you thank thank you guys for um, helping <laughs> me today. You guys did a big thing for me and a couple of churches today because as, as people in the dance, we want to regularly and habitually consent. And part of what that means is, is asking a question it, we'll, we'll end with this. So there's an ancient Hebrew concept called zimzum. Yeah. And zimzum is when we purposely allow ourselves to be smaller so that the whole can be larger. Mm-hmm. And part of being a follower of Jesus is regularly emptying ourselves, hum- willing to take less ourselves so that the whole can be enriched. And, if somebody says, what is prayer? What is worship? What is, what brings life? Well, um, anytime, anytime we're so aware of God that we're comfortable in his provision and in his grace and in his love that we can humble ourselves so that other people can be enriched, we are bringing life. Yeah. And that's what we're about. Come on. Awesome. Unreal. Well, we love you all. We love our community. Thank you for listening today. Um, you might have to listen to this three or four times. It doesn't matter. But we love you so much. Anything else you want to say, Matt? Um, no. Amen. <laughs> yes, amen. amen. <laughs> that was awesome. We love you. We'll speak to you soon. Bye. Yeah.